This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. tuning into Power Athlete Radio. I am so excited for this show. This week's episode features Sean Rigsby. Sean is a member of Team MDUSA out of South Carolina. And if you don't know what that means, I'll just go ahead and summarize for you. He and all of his friends are way stronger than you and definitely me. Sean's life has had some pretty interesting twists and turns, including playing rugby at a high level and eventually falling CrossFit football for some strength and power development. Not only that, Sean has been a touring musician and a CrossFit coach. All roads eventually led him to Olympic weightlifting, where his love for the sport and natural athleticism allowed him to excel to the tune of a 327 kilo total. What are Sean's thoughts on things like the catapult method, using weightlifting as a means to condition, or only using the power variations of the lifts? And did John really do a butterfly pull-up toast-to-bar to skin the cat dismount all on an Alico bar that was being held by two people in an NFL weight room? Stay tuned to find out. This is episode 113. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? What is up? Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. This is Denny. I'm here with John, Luke, Callie, Tex, and Bobby. Today, our guest on the show is Sean Rigsby. What's happening, Sean? Hey, how's it going, Denny? And it's going good. It's going good. Thanks for taking the time to talk shop and and uh, rock and power athlete radio with us. Thanks, man. I'm really happy to be on today. Uh, you know what? Maybe we can just kind of start the show off with like your kind of like your journey, you know, what, how you got to where you're at. Um, when you and I spoke the other day, I really liked uh, how you talked about like CrossFit football was an influence in your, in your training. So maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty, pretty funny. So I uh, used to be a rugby athlete. Uh, that was my primary sport. And I was trying to play rugby at the highest level in this country. And I realized the difference between me and those rugby players uh, who were at the level I wanted to be was they actually trained. I just played rugby, they trained. So I needed to learn how to get faster, how to get stronger, how to get in better condition. So someone said, you should try CrossFit. So I ended up going to like a CrossFit gym. I think it was CrossFit Oakland. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area at the time. And, um, you know, it's fun, it's cool, it's but it's... It's CrossFit, so it's you know a bunch of different movements, and it's a great workout. But I needed to get stronger, more powerful, more explosive. And someone said, hey, you should follow this uh, workout called CrossFit football. So I checked it out, and I was like, this is badass. This is lifting, conditioning. This is what I need. I need to be doing more of this. So from there on, I made a lot of progress. Wasn't able to continue playing rugby for personal reasons, but... I uh, really loved lifting, so I ended up, you know, getting a bunch of certifications, thinking, you know, I was going to coach, helped, uh, actually helped open a CrossFit affiliate, 
down in Southern California a while ago, and we did, you know, we actually did some sport performance on the side as well. And um, I just kind of, from there, fell in love with weightlifting because it's maddening and challenging, and you never actually figure it out. You know, you, you just keep showing up and hammering yourself every day. But my start was definitely picking up heavy stuff and doing shorter Metcons on CrossFit football, and that was a lot of fun. Well, Sean, thanks uh, thanks for being on. Uh, we, we really appreciate the endorsement, and I think that'll do it for this episode. Yeah, I really don't have anything else. I mean, I, uh, I mean so CrossFit football what more needs to happen? I mean, it's people helping people. You know, <laughs> nothing more needs to be said. That's about it. Uh, buy a power right. seminar. Sign up today. You know. So, so uh, <laughs> dude, uh, you know what? Um, you said something really interesting that there was a kind of a predominant kind of belief here in uh, the United States playing rugby that you just need to play rugby. And there's, you know, and you were kind of talking about like the the difference between you and like the elite players being that those guys specifically were training for their sport while you weren't. Uh, like, what was your rugby journey? Like, did you play in college? Did you? Like how, like, how did you get to that point? And more importantly, nobody at any point kind of schooled you on that or helped you along with that? Uh, no. So it's it's been a weird athletic journey. I played uh, like 10 years of hockey actually growing up. And um, I stopped playing any sort of sport altogether. I actually played in a lot of bands and toured and did some music for a little while. But then I ended up um, wanting to be an athlete again. So I just started playing rugby, started playing club rugby. And from there I wanted to play collegiate rugby because I was in college at the time. And then I wanted to play pro rugby, but no one really said at the time, you know, you need to train until I wanted to try and play. We'll call it professional rugby. It's not really professional rugby in America. Um, and no one had said, hey, you should lift weights or you should train. It was just show up, you know, practice ball handling, do sprints, and that's it. No one said you need to get in the gym and actually train and do things to make yourself more useful. Um, so uh, it was a teammate of mine who happened to enjoy doing CrossFit that he was like, hey, you need to start doing this because you'll get better at rugby. So, Sean, it sounds like you've lived a couple of lives. I, you know, out of curiosity, how old are you? Because you look like you could be, like, either 19 or I don't know. How old are you? Um, I'm a 1,000 years old. My friend called me, <laughs> my friends call me a, the centaur because I've been roaming the earth forever. But, uh, no, I'm 26. And, oh, my God. Uh, so young. I, th thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've done a few different things. Uh, I had a little bit of an unconventional journey to uh, get where I am now, but I, I do it all over again in a heartbeat. It's been a lot of fun. See, Sean, you have to understand that Callie is, like, on her way down. And when she sees youth, like just flourishing youth on the show, she there's a, there's a degree of envy, and she just wants to live vicariously through Well, it's you. more like, you know, uh, like those vampire movies where they have to drink the blood of the young to stay young. So Callie is at that point, like in her vampire, where now she has to start drinking the blood of the young just to stay youthful. So, so, uh, so, so she's always looking. So if you see her, <laughs> run. Use some of that athleticism and get the fuck out. Only 26 <laughs> a fine, a fine vintage. Yeah. Sean, what's your eye cream situation like? I mean, let's My get eye cream situation. <laughs> so, uh, so, like, tell us about the second time you toured with Ozzy. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that was, you know, too much cocaine to remember, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, but did you're... I ever tell you about the time that I was actually Tommy Lee or uh, yeah, Tommy Lee's golf partner in a celebrity golf tournament? Let's not use names. Let's call him Tommy L. Yeah. Tommy Lee. <laughs> I, I drove the, the cart while Tommy partied. Don't That's, get in the details, but all you got to say is... It like, was... It, 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 <laughs> are you just saying that you didn't party? To yeah, exactly. it, or it was actually on a Tuesday during football season. <laughs> was like it? 11, at 11 in the morning, and celebrity golf. I showed up, and Tommy was my partner, and he's like, hey, uh, you drive. I'm like, why? He's like, because I'm going to party. John. And about three holes in, I'm just telling you, three holes in, for any of those that are listening that read Motley Crue the Dirt, it was all fucking true. <laughs> and that's all I said. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> and then he unzipped his pants and started golfing. Hey, oh. oh. my God. Where was he golfing? Where, what holes was he golfing into? I don't remember. He was teeing off. Yeah, he was teeing off. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I never. I mean, it was a, probably the best parlor trick I've ever seen. But, uh, okay. Uh, okay. So, so you do like uh, so your goal is to play professional rugby. You want to play at the highest level here in the U.S., which is kind of an oxymoron. Yeah. Because uh, you know, like to play really competitive, high-level rugby, you have to actually leave America and uh, you know go to places uh, where you know that's really like people have been playing. Yeah, that's uh, something you know, that that's people. Sport. People who do that, you know, they come from rugby nations, you know, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, you know, so they've been playing rugby their entire life. I was realistic in the fact that, hey, I just started playing rugby a few years ago. There's no way that I'm going to get to that level. I mean, maybe, but, you know, the, the next transitional step was, hey, play, play Super League in America. So that was where I was at at that point and needed to get stronger. So, so Sean, how did you eventually uh, get in bed with Muscle Driver and, and eventually end up moving across country to go train with them? I mean, what were the things that led to that? Oh, yeah, that's a fun one. Um, yeah, so I was not no longer to play rugby, just had to had to work, had to, you know, support myself by time, just didn't have the time to, like, make the practices that I need to. So I really liked training and I really liked coaching I found so I said hey why not become a coach whether it's CrossFit or strength conditioning whatever it is uh, the way you become the best coach you can in my opinion is not necessarily about going to school getting an exercise science degree but spending time following the best coaches you know in their each each respective field whether it be gymnastics powerlifting weightlifting whatever so I ended up you know just kind of shadowing these coaches that were available in California. And the the best one was Glenn Penley, who was at California Strength at the time. I said, you know, hey, if I'm going to teach athletes to weightlift, I need to know how to weightlift. So I would drive up. I lived in Southern California at the time, and I would drive up, you know, the five-hour drive, and I would stay for a week at a time in the gym, and I would watch Glenn work with weightlifters and Dave Spitz work with athletes. I would just sit there and watch, see what they were doing, what kind of program they were doing, what kind of, you know, what cues they were given, and just spent time training myself. And that is basically where I fell in love with weightlifting. That's where I decided, okay, this is what I personally want to do for my own training. Um, so continued coaching. I ended up doing um, internships and coaching actually at a velocity sport performance in, in Southern California and learning more about, you know, training field athletes, trained a lot of different athletes for a lot of different sports. But the whole time I continued training <clears throat> and Muscle Driver about once a year after Glenn moved out here started doing uh, tryouts and I said well why not flew out just had to know whether I was good enough or not and they ended up saying 
hey, would you like to move out here and join the team and, you know, train full-time? So I said, hell yeah, I packed up my car and drove across the country. Mother of God. That's, That's pretty rad, dude. Can you uh, can you give us an idea of the timeline there? What was the, what was your training time to when you really started focusing on uh, your lifts on the platform to when you got scooped up by Muscle Driver? Huh. Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, let's see. If I started training, like actually training, like uh, six years ago, so I started weightlifting like four years ago. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I moved here. It's I've been at Muscle Driver for two years, so there was like two solid years of like weightlifting focused, at, during which I actually had a, a knee surgery. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, about two years of, you know, more of an emphasis on weightlifting to uh, getting picked up and coming over here. And That's then fantastic. after your first year of training, didn't you, or your first year at Muscle Driver, didn't you uh, have like a 25 kilo improvement on your total? Oh yeah, some ridiculous improvement. Um, it was like if I was totaling in the 290s, uh, I ended up, let's see. 321. Yeah, three. So, sorry, I'm trying to figure it out. Is uh, is that your best total? Is three twenty one? No, my best total is three twenty seven. Uh, I I, to, I totaled three twenty six the American Open last winter, and ah. that got me the bronze medal. And then, um, so the year before that, I was totaling like three oh three after just like a few months. So I was I basically put on like thirty kilos in in a year or something like that. So what's your body weight? Um, I was 122 when I started, and then I went up to 130, and now I'm actually back down to 120. Cool. That's been taking my diet more seriously. <laughs> Sean, what do you attribute to uh, that that serious like learn? I don't know, not learning curve, but strength curve or improvement in that in that year alone? Practice. <laughs> uh, that's really simple, but both it's it's a combination of things. We want. I mean, I I would shadow great coaches. But I never personally had a coach. It's it's really important in whatever sport it is. I think to find a coach uh, as early as you can. Just commit to it. A lot of people say they can't afford a coach or they don't have time. Or whatever. Uh, that's that's a bunch of crap. If you actually want to take this seriously, you you need to surrender to somebody who knows what they're doing. And uh, I just didn't have one. I was just a dude, you know, training on his own. You know, yeah, I could show other athletes, but you can't really be honest with yourself and you can't really think 100% objectively no matter how hard you try until you uh, find yourself a coach. So just moving out here, getting coaching, uh, our other coach aside from Glenn is Don McCauley. He's the best technical coach in the game. He's made a huge difference in, uh, in my technical improvements and that honestly is what it is. I, I, I was already really strong. You know, I, I came here squatting 600 pounds so that wasn't really like an issue. Um, we just needed to focus on mastery for my specific sport. Yeah, and for you, having kind of started, I guess you could say, later in life, I mean, you haven't been doing this since you were like 13 or 14, taking on a coach and um, making yourself open to as much learning as possible is completely a necessity to be competitive in, in your field. Yes, absolutely. It's it's You won't succeed without it. I can't really think of anybody who straight up did it self-taught and was successful at the highest level. You're saying a lot of good things that we, we've definitely preached in the past. Number one is investing in education. You going out to Penn Lake, driving five hours, committing to that, and then committing to driving across the country for training. Is there any lessons that you've held on back from Penn Lake, like trying to be a coach that you're using as 
an athlete? Uh, like coaching cues, or, or what do you mean, like lessons from? No, I, I, I think what he's talking about is like you know, like what have like like what's been like the biggest change for you in terms of like a philosophy and like 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 with being around those guys where you know like you came in and you had one idea and then just like their influence kind of changed you. I mean. You know, like uh, as I sit there and I listen, it actually kind of makes me smile because it's something we talk about all the time. It's like if you want to be the best, you have to, you know, one, you got to sacrifice, one, you got to suffer. I mean, we meet people all the time that are like, yeah, I can't make it because uh, I'll give you every fucking excuse in the world, but I want to be the best. Well, you're going to have to get out of the fucking garage. You're going to have to go and meet and train with people. I mean, it's like if you want to be great, like I don't know how to help you via the internet with you in your garage by yourself, you know? And I, I think, you know, and I think like, you know, for me, as a you know, in my previous career, I had the opportunity to go train with the best people, and I wanted to know who the best was, and I would go move there and train with these people to get what I needed out of it, because that's what you do to be the best. And so it's, I mean, it's, I almost wondered if kind of that idea has kind of fallen by the wayside, but it doesn't sound like it. I mean, if anything, you know, you saw what you wanted to do, you realized there were people out there that could help you reach your goal, and whatever it took to go work with those people, which is what fucking highly motivated, driven people do. Yeah, if you want it, you got, you just got to do it. There's no excuses. There's no, you know, the the, re, the rest is just noise. That's just bullshit. Um, Tex, do you want to clarify your question just so? I, no, I, I I think I got it now. Okay, cool. For him, I guess the the biggest lessons I, I I've learned. There, there was one thing. I mean, what uh, John was just talking about is if you're the strongest person in the gym, you're in the wrong gym. I I can't exactly remember who said that, but I remember that really stuck with me a long time ago. Uh, you have to go find people that are better than you, you have to go be willing to want to train with the best and maybe suck for a little while, and that's why I came out here. I'm still not the best in the room that I train in because that's the level of athlete that we have, but that's the room that I want to be in because we challenge each other every day. That alone, uh, that demanding something more, that demanding excellence every day we're at training is huge. Environment is everything. Uh, I think the things that I've learned the most actually from uh, – Another coach, we have, we have a few different coaches at Muscle Driver. Uh, coach Travis Mash, who um, has been helping us out here and there, he, he's done a lot of work with a lot of different kind of athletes, but he has a famous phrase as being a master of the mundane, is that athletes, you know, everybody likes to lift heavy weights, but it's the people who do the little things right that are going to make their training effective and make them effective over a long period of time. This is not a sprint. You do not go into the gym on a 12-week squat cycle or some crap like that and just all of a sudden come out a national champion. This is a multi-year, possibly multi-decade process that you have to be trusting in and just be consistent showing up every every day, day after day. And the little things that you have to do every day are making sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're getting hydrated, making sure that your diet's in order, making sure that you're stretching, make sure, you know, all, all the little things, all the little 1% that add up to make that 100% effort. Yeah, and Sean, you talk a little bit on your blog about um, what it was like to educate yourself on, on training like an Olympian. So if you want to become an Olympian, you had to put yourself in the mindset of what it's truly like to train like an Olympian. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're referring to, all those little yes. one percenters, right? Yeah, it took me a year to figure out how to train like an Olympian. And, I, and I'm, you know, I wish I could say that you could just, you know, I could sell you an ebook <laughs> and you would just figure it out in a day but it doesn't. You have to live it for a while, and it took me, I'd, I'd say, a year to realize, okay, these are all the things that I have to do every single day. It's not just the 
three to six hours I spend in the gym every day. It is all the things around it, the, the rest of the decisions I make in the other hours out of the gym that are going to make me successful. And the cool thing is you also talk about, um, you know, what it's like to kind of go through your own growth process and know what works for you personally. Like you've, you've amassed these tools and then you find out what is optimal for you. And it's, it's just like you said, if you, if you put out an ebook book and you're like, okay, here's, here's not only the programming but the lifestyle and all the stuff that, that's going to lead you to, be, to becoming an Olympian or whatever, you know, even if that were possible, we are so – the sport is still so individualized, you know, and in, in strength training and the adaptations that occur are so individualized, uh, even in terms of recovery. And we all have sort of our own, um, you know – like hoops to jump through and you know can you can you talk about what your process was of finding what worked for you and finding maybe what what didn't work oh yeah absolutely I mean I think that's you know that relates to finding a coach uh, as early as you can somebody who's going to identify what exactly your weaknesses are um, it's cool if I can you know write a squat cycle for somebody but somebody might respond really well to volume we find that women usually respond better to volume than men do um, people, other people like my teammate James Tatum responds really well to just going, you know, hard in the paint every day and maxing out. He's just able to do that. Not everybody's going to recover the same to the same uh, training modalities. Um, I am really good at squatting and really good at putting shit over my head, but I'm piss weak at deadlifting and pulls. So that's what I need to work on, you know, and that's what we identified is working um, my technique, you know making sure I'm, I'm moving very well, but also working more, more on my pulling strength, which is my limiting factor in my lifts. So if, if you don't, it's so important to get yourself a coach to identify what you need to work on because it's so individual. Yeah, and this leads us to a really good question that I know Tex wanted to jump in and ask regarding skill work. Yeah, just your commitment and your perspective as training for the Olympics. I know a lot of athletes that we have uh, that come to our seminar or – just training Olympic lifts on their own, they don't value the bar work. They don't value the the stuff that isn't heavy, that it's not necessarily fun. I'd just like to kind of get your, your PSA or your take in kind of promoting skill work. Yeah. Uh, this, this may be hyperbole, but they say in Bulgaria, when you start weightlifting for two years, you use a broomstick, and that's it. Because if you're not moving right with a broomstick, you will not move it right with 100 kilos or 200 kilos or whatever it may be. So we, we have a little bit of a different perspective. There's moving well with a broomstick, which is important because you should have, you should have mastery of the movement. You should be, have uh, excellent body control. But you also need some sort of weight that serves as a feedback, to, as a, a feedback tool that will discern what exactly is going wrong, that will even allow your coach to see better what exactly is going wrong. So a lot of people just want to jump in, and you know it's fun to go in and, Max your snatch, max your clean and jerk, max your back squat. But if you're not doing it correctly, you're wasting time. So, yeah, pretty much every morning at Muscle Driver, you know, we, we have nine sessions a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have double days. Uh, in those mornings, we're actually working on our technique, you know, what, whatever it may be, whatever exercise we want to do, whether it's from blocks or from the hang or working on a snatch balance. We are mastering our weaknesses so that in the afternoon we can – start implementing, you know, those fixes that we've made, those adjustments, and start pushing the weights a little bit heavier. And, you know, that's something we do, and we're, you know, the best team in the country. So it, odds are everybody needs to be doing that. And how important is game film? So I know football, lacrosse, we always invested in kind of 
watching games, do you guys film your lifts and always come back to it slow-mo or anything? That's a good question. Uh, that's something I was actually thinking about the other day because I remember, you know, lifters a few years ago didn't have, you know, a camera in their pocket on their phone. I was actually making fun of somebody because they were filming, like, every single lift. But really, we all do film our lifts. Uh, we're, we're filming our movement, taking a look what our weaknesses are and, and definitely analyzing them. I, I think it's a good idea, personally, to let your coach handle what's going on and then visualize after the practice. That's just my own preference. I don't, I don't like to think about it too much while I'm training. I like to think about it afterwards. But I think with how easy it is to film stuff now, if you're not doing film work, if you're not breaking things down and looking where you break down in slow motion, you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, Sean, what's your thought process going into not only just your either your double days or your, your practice or if you're going to do you know a heavy single or something like that versus your competition mindset? Is it the same? I mean, do you have any like uh, preparation techniques or anything like that? I'd like to say it's the same. Um, it's not always 100% the same. Uh, I, I personally am a competitor. I, I like showing up on meet day. I like picking a person in the room who's I'm just going to make fucking miserable that day. That's just kind of the asshole that I am. But um, go. it has to be as fo- the same as possible. You have to be as focused each session, each lift. You have to quiet and shut everything else out as much as you can and just focus on the task at hand. Uh, weightlifters, I think, are really, really good at mastering their mind and coming up with a lot of focus on each lift. It's it's actually pretty impressive in my opinion. Hey Sean, um, a few minutes ago you mentioned Don McCauley and he's he's known for uh, using like the catapult style um, in the Olympic lift. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if, because I've gotten in like debates with the whole triple extension versus catapult and is I mean, is there a point to that? Do you feel that one is really better than the other, or is that just kind of like people focusing on like on the you know like the minutia of it, and it's just you know whatever suits your individual style is going to work? This will be fun. This, no, it does. This will be fun. Uh, <laughs> this this might cause a lot of debate. Um, <laughs> so, Don, I actually helped. Don, I'm his uh, assistant coach on seminars when we go and do catapult seminars. So I'll say what we say every time we do a seminar, which is there is no catapult, there is no triple extension. There is only better and worse ways to lift the bar. You're either doing what's right and lifting the most weight, or you're doing something wrong and not lifting the most weight. Triple extension is, you know, it's a phenomenon. It's a extension of the ankle, knee, and hip joints. That's an athletic phenomenon. It takes place not just in weightlifting, but a lot of sports. Catapult is more of an engineering way of looking at the lift, using sport energy uh, to release and culminate in something explosive, like you would with a catapult or a slingshot, whatever it may be. So it's just different terms, really, but they, they mean the same thing. When we go t- and teach these seminars, these catapult seminars, we're, ta- we're still talking about you know driving hard through the legs and coming up into triple extension. The, the emphasis that we have is not spending a lot of time in the air because in weightlifting, if you're spending a ton of time in the air, that's time away from the ground where you should be getting ready to catch a lot of weight. That's time wasted. You should be moving around quickly. So 
Don formulated his thoughts, he was seeing these lifters who were just, you know, jumping. Weightlifting is not a jump. It's we're we're not trying to jump as high as we can. We're trying to lift this weight, you know, up so we can catch it as quickly as we can. Although if we're spending, like I said, too much time in the air, we're going to fail. So there isn't really too much of a difference, in my opinion. I, I think it's become more of a point of contention um, with John North. He he teaches that catapult style, and uh, is has kind of stirred up some things here and there, but I, I really don't think it's that much of a difference. What, whatever works for the athlete, a coach should have a lot of tools in their toolbox, whatever cue they need to get the job done. Uh, I, I always was kind of a little bit confused, at least, with uh, kind of Olympic lifting and some of the coaching cues because um, what I was taught at a young age was just finish your pull. If you mm. pull the bar far enough, everything seems to work out. I mean, it's like I, I always listen to these coaches kind of overcomplicated, like, oh, you're missing hip extension. You're not getting the triple extension. You know, they go through all these things. I'm like, I've never seen anybody that if they actually pull as long as they can or actually finish their pull and pull, you know, the bar properly, everything just seems to magically come in, which is what you're basically saying. Like, you're either, like, kind of, it's almost to the point of, like, overcomplicating it and being like, why don't you just pull the bar as high as you can and go underneath it as fast as you can, which is, that's, you know. That's all there is to it. You know, fi yeah. finish, finish the pull, it's funny, that's such an old weightlifting coat, uh, well, coach. It, Q, but it's that's absolutely what we true, were, you know. Well, that, uh, Todd Rice, who is, uh, was my strength coach in college, had actually traveled over Eastern Block and been to Bulgaria and, like, listened to those guys. And the only difference was uh, when they would, like, give coaching feedback was, like, did you finish your pull? No, you actually shorted that one once you pulled it a little bit longer. And, like, that was really the only thing that they had. And it was, like, if your feet went forward, that was bad. If the feet went too far back, that was bad. If you were, you know, floated. I mean, it was such basic cues. And I remember him being, like, don't overcomplicate this shit. Just finish your fucking pull. And he's, like, <laughs> if you finish your pull, you know, like, he's, like, don't worry about throwing your head, none of that stuff. Just literally pull the bar and everything looks better. And that was triple extension. So, um it uh, it just always makes me kind of laugh a little bit, and, I, and I'm sure you, you see this more than anything where you have ever, you know, uh, when I started Olympic lifting, um, it took me like six weeks to get a pair of Olympic lifting shoes, and I remember wearing them in a gym, and like five people asked me what they were. Now everybody's a fucking Olympic lifting coach. It drives me absolutely <laughs> fucking crazy. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I equate it to golfers. Like, uh, there's people that golf, and there's golfers. I am a person who sucks at golf, and I can go out and hack on my clubs, and I don't tell, call myself a golfer. It's like Olympic lifting. There's Olympic lifters, and there's people that have fucking bumpers and bars and practice the lifts that aren't Olympic lifters. And then there's Tommy and, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, let me tell you, Tommy Lee's a golfer and a swinger. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, somehow it's like everybody, uh, you know, you know, goes to one fucking seminar or pulls the bar a few times and then it's a fucking expert. And, um, you know, people come to us all the time for the Olympic stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I can teach you the basics and I'll teach you, you know, enough to fucking pass. But at some point, if you want to be really good and you want to fucking go balls deep on this stuff, to quote Kelly, uh, you got to go find somebody that this is what they do for a living and this is their passion. Yeah, and, Sean. Um, Balls yeah. deep is one of my favorite phrases, by the way. I'm so glad you guys. Well, uh, Callie, one way to do it's actually Callie's here. nickname is, is Callie Balls Deep Hensman. We have so much in common, Sean. Uh, I have a que I have a question for you, really quick, before a text jumps in. Um, since we're on the subject of of uh, I don't know teaching the lifts and and you know uh, the the various um, technique approaches. What do you think about people utilizing the lifts? Like, for instance, you're, I'm sure you're no um, 
you're no stranger to the reason CrossFit football chooses to use the power variations of the lift and uh, why we choose to use a certain polling position and receiving position. Uh, we do ask that our athletes land in a, in a toes forward, toes forward receiving position, um, you know, and, and obviously not catching below parallel. And then uh, additionally, how do you feel about the lift being used as a conditioning tool? Um, not to, uh, not to get like too dicey in the conversation, but I'm sure you have pretty strong opinions about those. Yeah. Um, you know, as someone who's coached athletes, I, I don't see much of a need other than to do the power movements. I actually, I don't see much of a need even to teach them the snatch. I, I worked with some younger athletes who, you know, don't have, we'll call it a lot of bad habits, I guess, um, who I can actually spend the time with and I can teach them how to snatch and clean, snatch and, you know, full snatch, full clean. Um, I heard when I was, you know, going on my trips to Cal Strength and Learning, I actually heard a presentation by Dave Spitz who highlighted a few reasons why, you know, they do a lot of work with NFL athletes up there getting them ready for the combine. And he talked a lot about why they choose to teach their athletes the full variations, which I thought was interesting. Uh, one was really just the mobility aspect, is that if you can get somebody who can do a full snatch or a full clean, you have unlocked so much mobility that they're probably going to be a lot more injury resistant if they're doing it correctly. Now the, now the question becomes, are we using our time effectively in the weight room? Uh, do you have so much time with an athlete? You know, a lot of strength coaches in the collegiate setting don't have the time to, to do that. They, they don't have the, the, the resources or, or, you know, the patience really with a lot of these athletes who are, who are going to want to learn how to do the full lift. So I'm, I definitely put myself as an advocate of just sticking in the power variations because you're still get, getting that explosive aspect. You're training planes that are similar to, uh, you know, having to hit somebody or tackle somebody, you know, if, if we're related and it's specifically a, to football. And it's a, it's a longer pull, which it is, uh, it is I've a never pull. seen anybody miss fucking triple extension on a power movement. No. Another one. I mean, part, part of the reason why we, we don't teach the very full variations and we really highlight it is I'm like, dude, one, it's a longer pull. And, um, you know, fucking nobody ever misses full extension on a power movement if you're pulling the bar hard enough. No. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for years, people have, like, tried to, like, come at me and be like, oh, why don't you teach full variations? And I'm like, well, uh, if you can do them, we'll gladly teach them to you. But for yeah, the most part, about, I'm not training you, Olympic lifters. Do you have the time to, like, sit down and teach a kid to do that? Probably not. And especially, you know, you're writing a program. Uh, online that people are following. Yeah. You don't have the time to coach these people, you know, do a Skype session and do all that crap. Uh, well, think about how much trouble it is just to get people to squat properly. Exactly. I mean, you would you think know. just like the most fundamental basic fucking movement. And, uh, I mean, we're, we're working with a guy right now who's a potential MLB guy, and uh, we've spent the last three weeks, uh, two to three days a week, just teaching him to squat. His squat actually looked passable today for something that didn't make me throw up. And he's actually, you know, making it, it looks better, like we figured out his bar position, foot position, all of these things. And I'm like, all right, so here's us just with your feet in a closed chain movement where we're asking you just to do straight up and down. Now all of a sudden you want me to add variation where now he has to pull the bar dynamically. And mind you, he hasn't even figured out how to pull the bar off the ground on the deadlift. And yeah. now I want you to do some form of violent hip extension, get up, mm -hmm. triple all these other key factors, and then catch it. It's just not going to drive a training position. response. Well, it no, does. it's like, fuck. If you're not stable at the bottom of the squat, what makes you think that you're going to be stable enough to catch the bar in a good receiving position? And, like, I, I just, 
I think it's like a, a, there's this predominant thing, and it drives me fucking crazy. And I've argued, and I've I, at the seminar. You've never been to our seminar, but uh, when the reason they probably don't let me go out as much anymore is uh, <laughs> when people fucking battle me, I will stomp you. Uh, like if, if you if you think you know more than me, fucking bring it. And I had a guy argue with me one time about it, and I'm like, at the end of the day, like uh, you know, there there's some belief that. To train athletically, you have to do the Olympic lifts. And I asked him, I was like, dude, do you know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure you've never trained in an NFL weight room, but uh, do you know how many people I've seen actually do Olympic lifts in the NFL weight room on a consistent like zero? basis? Yeah, like, very few. Like I'm like, do you know how many NFL players out there right now are talented Olympic lifters? I was like, I was the only one. When I went to the Patriots, I like saw these nice Alico bars and these bumpers, and I pulled them out, and the strength coach came fucking running out and was like so excited that somebody was going to use their Alico bar and their pumpers. They had like beautiful shit, and um, I'm like, people don't use this stuff. He's like, no, not for years. John, did you use them? Did you use them for straight bar curls? Yeah, uh, just reverse curls. And then, I, and, but I, actually, what I was using for was evil wheels, the handstand pushups. And then I was doing a, uh, and then I did. A, uh, it was actually a butterfly pull up. To, to, to toast the bar to skin the cat all in the air. Job so, right. with a Lico bar? Yeah, with an Lico bar. Was the bar like a rack or something? No, people were holding it oh, on either side. Okay. So I was doing a butterfly oh. kipping pull-up, toast the bar to skin the cat dismount. T1. People were holding it. And did you stick it? Yeah, well, I, do you know why? Because I was in a 4G negative dive. <laughs> and I was <laughs> And I was communicating. <laughs> we, we, we. Was that on, was that on main site? I didn't, I didn't see that one. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, it, well, no, it was, in the, it, it was on the grid. Oh. Because, you know, like, I, I mean, so... Are so, you like, planning to invent the grid, John? That's what he's saying. That's what he yeah, just said. I actually invented the overhead squat. And the question mark, I believe. Well, and the question mark. Nobody ever had squatted before me. And pockets. Were you and in Tron with different. Jeff Bridges when you invented the grid? Is yes. that how that happened? That's exactly... Yeah, it was, it was Tron. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I um, I like wanted to do light cycles. He wanted to do athletics. I understand. <laughs> what what was the uh what was the grid before it was the grid? What was the name? American Gladiators. American, oh, American <laughs> Gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> no, what, what was the grid called before? Wasn't it called uh, oh, uh, the National the NFL Pro PGA? Yeah, National Pro. Oh, NPGL. NPGL. What was that? Yeah. National. Lampoons? <laughs> NLPGA? No. National Lampoons Pro Golf Association? LPGA. God damn it. Our mind was so it's, but it's elite. Whatever. We'll leave it at that. It's elite as fuck. Uh, just, yeah. I wanted to add one more thing to what you were saying about the power of variations. Is that my favorite thing, I think, for athletes, uh, especially, and I'm always going to relate to com- to combat sports. I'm going to think about rugby. I'm going to think about football. Is uh, the resistance of flexion under a load. Is that you know, especially for linemen, you're not just hit. I mean, if if you're really good, yeah. When you hit a guy, you pancake him. Awesome. But a lot of the times, when you go and hit a guy, you've also got to respond to his body weight and his yeah. opposing force. And that, what is that? That's power clean. So. Yeah. Anyway, well, the, I mean, for, last for me, uh, like, it, you know, when we looked at all like, you know, the power variations of the movements. I mean, um, you know, like we started even breaking them down. Like when I was in my own training, like I would power clean, and. Uh, What's crazy, pre-CrossFit days, I had to drive, like, it was either 35 minutes to Carson to train athletes' performance or 30 minutes south down to South County to actually find somebody that had uh, bumper plates. And we would just do complexes. It was like, you know, like a, a, you know, like a triple power clean to like a triple front squat. 
And it was like, you know, some pretty basic stuff that we had always done. But, uh, you know, like in terms of the full movements, I, um, you know, like if you can do them and an athlete's gifted enough and he's trained and he's put the time and he wants to learn them, I'm, I'm all for them. But for most people, uh, you know, and I think that's, I mean, even as far as, you know, am I going to look like our pitcher kid we're training, am I going to take the time to teach him the uh, Olympic movements? No. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm much rather teach him to do some dynamic pulls. I mean, we're going to do some clean pulls, some snatch pulls, I mean, some things where he's, you know, working on generating force. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, how much time do you have to work with people? I mean, if this guy shows up for an hour and a half a day, you know, I'm going to train all the low-hanging fruit first. And it's like I think uh, people get so wrapped up in being this, like, you know, master coach that they're like, dude, low-hanging fruit is like um, the biggest thing when we uh, that I try to impart to people, especially when they ask me about programming and coaching. And that's another thing I'll fucking go off on a tangent on this idea of fucking programming that there's some magical fucking secret amount of sets and reps and workouts that you can fucking conceptualize and serialize and John, like, don't you know, give do. Oh, away. it fucking drives me crazy. Don't tell them the and secret. I'm like, I'm like, dude, low-hanging fruit. What is the what is the like what is the max you're gonna reap? for the minimal amount of work that you're going to do. If I can get more out of this, then let's go this. Let's not fucking waste time. If I got 10 weeks to train this kid, I'm going to try to get him as far as I can in that 10 weeks, and I'm not going to fuck around. Yeah, and I think, absolutely. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, if, um, you know, like, people, uh, we, we get approached quite often about, you know, like, uh, you know, we obviously teach across a football seminar, but, like, what about a more detailed education component in this? And I think, like, uh, you know, sense of urgency that, uh, you know, you as an individual have to be able to disseminate down to the basics and say, hey, you know what, this is what my guy can and can't do. If I can get him here and he's doing this better, like my kid, uh, my baseball guy throws 94, 95 miles an hour. All of a sudden, I know if I can get him stronger, if I can get him moving better, you know, uh, more rotation, more lateral movement. I mean, if we can fix some of his mechanics, he can throw a fucking 96 or 97, and now he goes in the NFL or uh, MLB draft, and That's, we've helped yeah. him. That's all you got to do. You don't have to do any bullshit. I just, I, I did the same thing. I had a pitcher who's getting drafted by the Pirates. He could throw 92. We just got him strong. That's it. I didn't do anything. We just had him squat, bench, deadlift, power clean, and fucking, you know, be in shape. And all of a sudden, he's throwing 96 just because. Oh, there's there's another power. one. You had a pitch, you had a pitcher bench press. Oh yeah, that's another <laughs> one. We've been, uh, dude, that we we loaded up and started using neutral grip and just having him do some neutral grip bench. And uh, all of a sudden, he comes back like two days later, and he's like, "I was consistently, you know, he's like for the most, I'm throwing 94, 95. I consistently throw in the in the in the low 90s. He's like, every pitch I threw out was 94. And he's like, they're like wondering what I'm doing. And he's like, I actually felt like some of the stability work and some of the bench press stuff. I felt like I could get more throw on the ball. And I'm like, wow, imagine that mm -hmm. a fucking pitcher doing bench press and push-ups. No, no, it was like a special ball that you gave him. Yeah. <laughs> You gave him a tennis, oh, you gave him a, a okay. wiffle ball. You had him had him throw with a, a wiffle ball, and he was able. Well, yeah. to... I think the uh, the thing which which we've seen for years is the more complicated you make something, uh, the easier it is to sell and create this fucking multi tiered or multi level Ponzi scheme. Where like finally, once you reach Nirvana and the seventh level, then you'll unlock the secrets and be able to like you know fucking yes. own Thunderdome. Yeah, and, and it's like, I mean, but but that's how you do it with these, you know, like uh, in fitness, there's this kind of multi-tiered fucking Ponzi scheme. At the end of the day, it's like, dude, the only fucking scam in this thing is that you're going to have to put in more hours to get good at this shit than you realistically are going to be able to fucking do. And if you do sacrifice and get in there, you're going to get there. But you know what? You're probably going to give me a thousand excuses on why you can't do it and then bitch of why it didn't work.
John, do you have time for me to tell you about an investment opportunity through Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are about five minutes away from uh, Luke going off on a tangent about how we never landed on the moon. So I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to well, say wait, wait, actually, Kelly, don't we have to take a, uh, a break for the supplement company that's sponsoring us? <laughs> do, do we, John? <laughs> is, it, is it AdvoCare? Is it... <laughs> No, it's, uh, it's just, we should make the supplements, like, uh, remember the, when Rob Wolf was on the podcast, you guys were talking about blending up tuna and fucking like, milk, and then down yeah. tuna, milk, and rice, that should be our supplement. Uh, it's fucking disgusting. It's, That's what we need. It's expiration no, it's, date was it's, it's, ago. <laughs> it's fucking, dude, like, like, when you're at the point where you're just throwing things in a blender just to see if you can get that in your body, then you fucking know you've reached. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, 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 people all the time, like, oh, I can't gain weight. I'm like, really? Luke Summers <laughs> gained weight in front of my fucking eyes. It yeah. was unbelievable. Level 10. Maybe level sure. 10 gainer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Poor text. Poor Tex, I showed up. You know what he looked like? He looked like one of the fucking octonauts. He looked like a cute <laughs> And I'll tell you, Tex, you look good. Yeah, yeah. Bob, 30. Bobby looked good. I'll, I'll tell you, my mom would love. My, my mom likes. Uh, she's a big fan of like big men, and uh, <laughs> like Luke. Oh, it's crazy. My mom saw Luke, and she's like, God, Luke looks great. And he's like, Yeah. 5'9", 5'10", 250. She's like, ooh, that's a good thing for you. <laughs> oh, my God. And then she belittled me because I was, like, under 270. She's like, oh, why are you so skinny? You look like you fucking – something's wrong with you. You look sick. I've gained 30 pounds since meeting you, John, so. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to be big, hang out with big people. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, uh, dude, he, he, he made a great point. He's like, if you want to be strong, go hang out with strong people. If you're the strongest guy in the gym, you're fucked. You know, if you want to be big, go hang out with big people. I mean, Glenn Penley's a big dude, isn't he? He's got a big beard. He's a big fucker. He's yeah. a big dude, yeah. Coach Penley's a big dude. Yeah. I mean, like, I, yeah, I've, I've never met him, but uh, I remember seeing, like, a picture, and he, he you know, he's he was way bigger than Waxman, and Waxman's not a small dude. When we go out in public, like, the team, we feel, like, in normal people land, uh, we feel, like, ostracized, because people just end up looking at us like we're weird, but I just look at them, how tiny they are, and I feel uncomfortable for them. Well, that was the, uh, the fun part about playing in the NFL is uh, all your friends are big, so you just kind of think you're normal, and you're like kind of going along, and there's like a couple guys, you're like, God damn, that guy's fucking huge. And then you go out in public, and people are just kind of like staring, like all of a sudden they like cover yes. their, they, so, like, know, their yeah. food close and like pull their kids, and you're like, dude, I'm, I'm not going to eat the food off your plate. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. I get hungry when I bring my fucking food. Yeah, and then you have Luke, Tex, and myself working for you, and we're all like 5'6", and... I don't know. I, well, I think... Callie, Callie, I was a little disappointed you didn't make the jump to 165. <laughs> no. You should have bolted to 165, Callie. Dude, I fucking tried to get her to do it, and she had, like, an emotional breakdown, and I had to, like, put That's... my arm around her and, like, find what? every, like, emotion Callie, that I don't have. So I had to, like, harness easier. that emotion I don't have, and she's like, oh, I want to go to 135. No, that that's 100% false. I did not have an emotional breakdown. Well, uh, hang on. But, I remember but, an emotional breakdown, so that's two against one, and jury is in or out, or verdict's in. Jury's out, verdict's in. Grid is in. Grid. <laughs> you wouldn't do it. You were complaining like, no. my pants, my no. jeans, my jeans, my chalk bottoms. It just, it just never... It never crossed my mind that I would ever fucking do that ever. Uh, so it, <laughs> I never what? would allow myself to think that. It uh, it takes just a little bit more to be a champion. A- mm-hmm. As you say, I guess I just didn't want it. So gotta want it. <laughs> you gotta want it. Um, Sean, I-, I had a question for you. I mean, we were talking about uh, um, 
dwelling on the minutia of certain things and, and really overcomplicating the lifts. Besides those uh, coaching flaws, I guess you could say, what are some other things that you see that, that um, when teaching the Olympic lifts, you see like issues with, with coaching or um, things that maybe you learned over time uh, to, to optimize your coaching? Uh, just general flaws for for athletes out there, or uh, no, for for the coaching aspect, from the coaching end, maybe it's priorities, or you know, like oh. John was talking about, lowest hanging fruit type thing. <clears throat> yeah, I I just see people trying to do too much, um, giving people too much to think about instead of focusing on one thing. Um, we, well, I'll see a lot of coach, you know, I'll go to these meets, whether it's like a local meet, and you know, like John. <laughs> Everybody's a weightlifting coach nowadays, so uh, I see a lot of coaches who are like coaching their athlete, and they're giving them like step-by-step -step instructions on how to do the fucking lift. Like it's like, okay, pull now, catch, squat, uh, drive, and step together. You know, like if they don't know how to do the fucking thing at this point, they shouldn't be here. But um, in in training, a lot of times there's you can get really caught up in uh, over analysis. And I think it's important for a coach when they're guiding an athlete just to pick one thing, whether it's whether it's something as simple as finish your pull, and just have those people focus on that. You know, if it, even if it's just the whole workout that one day, if you're focusing on one thing uh, at a time, and that at the end of the day, that thing should be fucking done. So next day you could focus on something else. Yeah, definitely. We we recently had on Allison, uh, I guess it was uh, Bragger who. Uh, who was a neuroscientist and is also a CrossFit Games competitor, and what she was saying to us was along the same lines is that, you know, you just kind of need to focus in on one thing if it's a technique type thing, and then eventually um, you need to let go of your mind, especially when yes. it comes time to compete. And, um, you know, that kind of led me to my question to you about your competitive mindset because really you're not thinking about, okay, uh, you know, sit back, chest up, um, no. finish the pole. None of that should be on your mind, right? Um, and and that was that was kind of her mindset was that if you're thinking about all the technical aspects, number one, you're not ready. Uh, number two, you're not in a, in a mindset for things to flow uh, like efficiently. Right. No, I mean at competition time, there there really can't be anything in your mind. Uh, though meets, it's exciting now with weightlifting becoming you know more popular. We actually have crowds you know, of people coming who want to watch weightlifting. We have standing room only crowds sometimes, and there's a lot of yelling and encouragement and all that, um, which is which is great. It makes for a great atmosphere. I can't hear any of it. Uh, I'm on the platform. I, I I don't hear. I don't see what's going on in front of me. It's just time to lift. If I think about one thing, it goes back to what I'm saying. It's like fuck somebody's day up by making this lift lifts, and that's that's it. I've been to a few meets. DC usually holds a couple big meets a year, so I've been in that crowd, and I've seen an increase in coaches yelling at their athletes or cueing them when they're on the platform. We often say, like, the field is your test as a coach, if your program worked or not for that athlete. So I'm, I'm just kind of piecing all these things together, and I've seen coaches yell one or two cues when they should be just letting their athletes go, just like you're talking about. That's that's a tradition amongst coaches. I mean, coaches want athletes to succeed. They're emotionally on with with them on the platform. Um, I th I think sometimes you have somebody, especially in like the clean and jerk. A lot of times you have people who are really good at cleans and then you know just shit the bed on the jerk, and they need to hear that one thing uh, that ends up you know helps them. Some athletes do benefit from that. I think it's ref you know confined to what you're talking about. Just one or two things, it can be beneficial. 
but really just to let people lift. I, I can't hear anything when, when they go out there. It's, it's completely shut out, which is, in my opinion, how it should be. Sean, what, what other interests outside of weightlifting do you have? I mean, what else do you do to occupy your time? Oh, Jesus. What else is there? Um, I, you know, I train full-time for Muscle Driver. I, uh, I run a company called Heavy Metal Barbell, and, you know, that's weightlifting. So that, that's not really something different. I'm actually uh, I'm an English major right now. Um, since I train full-time and, and work a lot, I didn't have time to um, go to a traditional classroom. So I ended up going to Arizona State online. And so I do that, studying English literature, because I like having debt and no job security after I'm done. Sounds like a good idea. Um, so I do that and uh, play some music. You know, I'm big metalhead, like a lot of different kinds of music. And uh, honestly, I try to spend a lot of time outdoors. I think it's uh, important. You know, I spend almost all my time indoors in a gym with no windows. So <laughs> yeah. as, as much as I can, I like to get outside and go hiking. Um, and just whether it's – we have a lot of good trails here in North Carolina and South Carolina that you can go and find some fun places. The U.S. National Whitewater Center is here. It's a great place to be. So, yeah, I just try to spend a lot of time outside, I guess. Would be my and it's, it's hot as balls out there right now, isn't it? Oh, it's miserable. I mean, I'm from Valencia so and, and in Southern California, so it's like 110 there. But here the humidity is terrible, man. Especially if you weigh over 200 pounds, you do not like the South. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, so you, I, I'm just curious as to some of your music inspirations. You said you toured for a little while, and I don't know, I just like to get to know our guests on a different level. So what were some of your musical inspirations? And I mean, where did you tour? What kind of music was your band? I'm going to assume it's heavy metal, but there's like 1,200 different subgenres of heavy metal. Um, but uh, can you elaborate more on that? They were mostly a lot of local shows in California, like in the Bay Area and whatnot. Um, but we uh, we play. There were a few different bands. Uh, we played hardcore punk uh, in one band. Uh, another band I actually played uh, blues rock and and sang for. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was probably my favorite. But uh, yeah, I definitely spent a lot of my time uh, writing uh, some metal songs and just you know riffing out, jamming out, having a lot of fun doing that. Nice. So, what kind of music do you listen to on a regular basis for? Like, what's the? Is there music playing in your facility? Because I know some places are like a goddamn dojo, and you know it's got to be silent. Yes, uh, actually, so at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado and in Las Vegas at Bros's Gym, they they have like a no music policy, so they're all about being quiet, which which is fine. Uh, I think it's mostly that they think that a lot of times people won't agree on what kind of music they want to listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, it becomes too much of a hassle. You know, it might positively affect someone else, whereas it'll negatively affect another person. Uh, here, we're pretty agreeable. We try to find, like, a happy medium, something everybody likes. Like, um, we actually listen to, like, a lot of house and electronic music because it's upbeat but not super uh, adrenaline rushing like mm -hmm. metal is. You know, you, in, in weightlifting, you have to remain as calm as possible so that you can focus on the task at hand when it's time to lift. When you're sitting in between lifts or whatever, you need to be focused. Whereas if you're playing heavy metal, odds are you're jumping around ready to kill somebody. Yeah, like well, over overstimulated. Yeah. And Kelly, we, didn't you didn't you find that the the EDM stuff was also like pretty gender neutral in terms of the motivation? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think it's a crowd pleaser. And um, and it is in terms of when you look at the research for beats per minute, um, it, it does allow for sort of that like slightly raised heart rate, but not so much that it's like over arousal. Yes, we found that like people who don't even really like that music end up like, like I don't listen to that music outside of the gym, but I actually like training to it. It's it's weird. Sean, um, what, what are you trying to prove? Okay, we, you know, <laughs> I, I, you, you might like it. It's... It gets your head going. Uh, you know what? What was that? Is would that Barbie Girl song? Is that Is that? <laughs> that's not EDM. How is that not? No, it's not. That's just that's just Chelsea's theme music for when she walks out for the L.A. Temptations. Oh, that's right. That's where I know from. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, we also, we also listen to this a lot of like classic rock. I actually love like on Tuesdays. Tuesdays are our squat day, and it's kind of more easy going. I love putting James Brown radio on on mm. Pandora. That's me. Yes. But, um, yeah, we'll 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 find some stuff. Typically, not a lot of metal going on in the gym. I like a little funk myself. Uh, definitely, yeah. funk funk is great music to to work out to. Um, and then, and we like to talk a little bit about our inspirations in the in the cinema, in the world of of movies, television. Um, are you familiar with with television and and the cinema? I, I've I've heard of television. You've I've, dabbled. Yeah, I I think I've, I'm. I think that's the newfangled uh, <laughs> device they got coming into homes now, right? Exactly. Uh, get you a color one because they are they are fancy. Uh, motion motion pictures. Motion <laughs> the pictures the moving pictures. Okay. Yeah. The talkies we call them talkies. So I, I, do you have any favorite movies that you uh, that, that are like go tos in terms of either inspiration or just like uh, I don't know things to get you going or speeches or monologues or things like that. Uh, Gladiator. Duh. I mean, oh, yeah. so, uh, that, that's a popular one. Honestly, I don't watch I don't watch nearly as many movies as I used to. I'm actually reading so much that that's that's what I'm stuck doing. But I love uh, a, a lot of this. Uh, most of the time, we're just trying to relax, so we're not, I guess, seeking out inspirational stuff when we're outside of the gym. It's more fun movies. I love. What was the last movie I went and saw uh, or, or watched? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I love that movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but I watch Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is badass, so that's, mm -hmm. that could be inspirational. Cool. Uh, so, but no, you're not. So you are you are officially the 1,200th person to say Gladiator is one of the most inspirational. <laughs> but well, you, it's reached out to that many people. Yeah, so it must be effective. Uh, it's it's like the five three one of movies. What's what's wrong, Callie? Are are you not entertained? <laughs> Ooh, are you not entertained? That was really good. Oh my God, that's low, Luke. Well that done. was that was even low for you. That was too easy. Um, Does that? I'm terribly vexed. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people are into, of course, like Arnold, Sly Stallone, like Rocky montage shit. Um, so I just didn't know if that was that was part of your thing. Well, that's um, just like a state of being. Like I wake up and you know, Predator's on. That's. Yeah. I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that that was you know different or like inspirational that's just my life that's just true every day <laughs> yeah. Sean have you seen the preview for Rocky 7 Apollo Creed's son no no I it, just that I just heard about pumped this up. Okay, yeah, I just I, heard about I, it today too that. it's it's freaking motivational <laughs> it looks badass totally awesome um, well, Sean, so tell us, do you have any meets coming up? Um, and if so, you know, if people want to get in touch with you or want to visit your site, can you plug any of that info for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have a meet coming up here at Muscle Driver, actually, um, in, what, two weeks? I think it's on 
the 17th, the Muscle Driver Open for the summer, but we are all preparing for USA Weightlifting Nationals, which are in Dallas in August. That's what we as a team are focused on. Um, I think we're also hosting a CrossFit Football Seminar uh, in August, which I'm really stoked about, so that'll be fun. The seminar is the 29th and 30th, and it's good. It's like Bobby and Tex went and scouted out the facility, and it's just it's hot. Like not H O T T, but H A W T T. Like yes. it's it's a proper seminar. If you want to lift some quality weights and and get absolutely blasted with knowledge bombs, it's going to be a good one. So August 29th and 30th, and uh, in South Carolina. So all those people got to get out there, and uh, if they want to sign up, head over to CrossFit Football. Slash events, it's right there. CrossFitFootball.com slash events. I hear South Carolina in August is really, it's a it's a nice time. Oh so yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's like uh, it's like San Diego. Yeah. Just, so just this is a this is pretty uh, this is kind of on topic but totally irrelevant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when as, if anyone has ever booked a seminar schedule, you try to kind of align a few things and go to certain regions that uh, you know follow the weather type deal. Don't go into hot hot areas when it's hot. Stay out of the like the sportsman type areas like Oregon when it's hunting season. Shit like that, so you can maximize participation in these events. And uh, this year we decided to say fuck it, and we're gonna go. To where it's the hottest in the summer. <laughs> We're going to fucking Phoenix in August. We're going to uh, fucking South Carolina in August. And we're just doing it. You know, yeah. we're out there and we're doing it. And we're being <laughs> us. And it's us being us. And you know what? You can't stop us. So so I I recall many conversations in the office of, well, how are we going to book the seminars this year? And literally John just saying, let's do the opposite of whatever we did last <laughs> year. <laughs> and the, I have a three times rule, kind of like Fight Club. John actually had to pop out. He has it's his anniversary today. But uh, I'll ask, like, when something is so unbelievable from Wellborn, I'll ask him three times. And <laughs> it's consistent three times in a row. I go for it. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened with uh, the seminar deal. Go where it's hot. Yeah, when it's freezing, yeah, for we're, George. we're training outside. Yep. If it's any incentive for Bobby to come here, there are two girls at Muscle Driver who think you're hot. Summer so. Bobby. <laughs> Oh, so just throwing that out there. Wait, just two? <laughs> only, two. only two? Man, I'm sorry. But there's like 12 guys, so. That is a bit <laughs> above average. That's, that, is, that is above average. Well, Tex and I are coming down for the uh, Muscle Driver Open, man, so I'm going to be there in two weeks. Oh, that'll be badass, yeah. Yeah, we'll, yeah so we'll it'll be fun. And um, you're going to be up here in D.C. in, uh, what, like the weekend before, yeah? Dude, yeah, like uh, next weekend, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a good time. Well, you girls are gonna have a blast. Stop yeah. it, Jelly. <laughs> uh, me personally, if people want to find me, they can go to heavymetalbarbellclub.com and check out what we're doing. We do uh, some programming for performance athletes. We qualified three athletes for regionals this last regionals, so we were excited about that. Uh, I do remote coaching for people who want to get into weightlifting or CrossFit and just you know can't find anybody locally that might be able to help them out. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Sean M. Rigsby. Nice. I think that does it for this episode, unless anyone has any other pertinent information or questions. No, just America's birthday, that's all. Oh, fuck, I yeah. forgot. So uh, this is going to air next week, and Sean, if there's anything you want to tell your future self a week from now, 
What would you like to tell your future self? If you don't lift weights, you don't like freedom. <laughs> America. I like America. it. Dude, that's the show quote. That's fucking it. <laughs> you do, how do you spell weights? Right. W-A-I-T. <laughs> it, it should have been, how do you spell freedom? And the answer is U-S-A. U-S-A. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Uh, Sean, thanks again for taking the time out of your busy training schedule. I know you're like, you're probably got to hit your second nap of the day now before you go train again. <laughs> yes, something like that. Thanks for having me, guys. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. For you to empower your performance. Want to keep up with Sean? Follow him on Instagram at Sean M. Rigsby or find him on heavymetalbarbellclub.com. This is where you can view workouts, get coaching, and shop for apparel. Also, CrossFit Football is coming to Muscle Driver on July 29th and 30th. That's in Fort Mill, South Carolina, in case you didn't know. And to get signed up for this uniquely awesome CrossFit football seminar, head to CrossFitFootball.com backslash events. Next week, we bring you physical therapist Lauren Polifka and games athlete Zach Anderson. They're going to talk about rest and recovery practices that will optimize your competitive advantage. Until next time, bye!